Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show, from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dane, joined as always by the co-host, Matt Feuerstein. And Matt, this isn't even the first podcast we've recorded together this week, because yes, folks, going to get in a quick plug here. The boys of summer are back. We were back on the five-star match game with our friend and previous guest on the show, Justin Shapiro. The five-star match game, of course, is the dreaded Joe Gagne's um, wrestling trivia podcast where we have appeared on a number of times. I do not do this. This time we talked about Matt's prostate, among other things. So, so I'm not going to talk about it here. That's, a, that's exclusive to the five-star yeah. match game. Do you want to know the health of Matt's prostate? You're never going to find out about it here. Never. You have to listen to that. Yeah. At least, at least, at least as of now. <laughs> One day, maybe. <laughs> there may be updates in the future on this show if, if it becomes a pressing matter. Um, hopefully not. <laughs> Don't press on my prostate, everybody. <laughs> Aw, I had plans. Anyway, um, how do I transition? We we don't have any news between the last show and this show because um, it's, you know, this show happened the day after the last show. So that means I don't even have anything to transition to except to say we're going from pressing on Matt's prostate or not doing that to Anarchy in the UK, which took place August 13th, 2006 at the Broxbourne Civic Hall, which as um, – we we talked about in the last episode, hilariously, uh, Kerry Silken said when they tried to sell him on running this small building in Broxburn, it was sold to him as the Corican Hall of the UK. Anyway, it yeah, was, that, it's that, him. that's probably what it was. And <laughs> and, and, and it's fun. And, and by the way, isn't it isn't it fun, as we said on the last show, that once again, our uh, our history is paralleling the present as the entire uh, eyes of the wrestling world are fixated on London, and we are now doing a review of a show that took place right outside London uh, 17 years ago. It is the 17, yeah. right? My math is right, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, it's just we, – we, we've, we've got a knack for timing, don't we, Trevor? Yeah, I mean, we we knew exactly this was going to sync up when we started the show over half a decade ago. We were like, there's going to be a new promotion. They're going to sell out Wembley Stadium in about you know six or whatever years. If we time it right now – We'll get there just before they run the show. Um, we did it. <laughs> it is kind of crazy. There's confetti all around me right now. So, um, yeah, this anyway, If you, to continue my introduction, in case you were wondering, yes, in fact, the Broxburn Civic Hall is in Broxburn, England, from a report crowd of 500 fans. Dave Meltzer wrote that this was a sellout. And looking at the building, we don't get a lot of great shots, but I can believe it. It looked pretty – it didn't quite look like a – like it kind of gave me studio wrestling vibes. It looked bigger than that, but definitely felt snug. Like it didn't – like you could tell like, oh, yeah, this building doesn't seat a lot of people. Yeah, so it's, um, it's interesting because like um, obviously usually they book the Saturday show – well, first of all, was was this Saturday? Was Saturday and Sunday, or was this a Friday and Saturday double shot? I, I'm assuming this is a Friday Saturday. I can try and Google that quick if you keep talking for a second. Um, okay, yeah, because usually the bigger the bigger show is on the Saturday, the bigger market, and I, I don't know which of these two shows was the bigger market because obviously Liverpool's a city, and you know um, this wasn't, but this is I think this is the London metro area, right? So in some I way, think it's like an hour from London. So, yeah, so that yeah. I mean, that's not so different than probably some of those Boston shows, and you know what I mean, like where um, those shows, none of those shows were actually in Boston, and some of them were away. I don't think Chicago Ridge is like, you know, like 
a minute from Chicago. I think that's, that's also outside of that. So I don't know. I think, I think it counts as a London show is what I'm trying to say. So this is in fact uh, a Saturday Sunday show. So this was Sunday. So your instincts were right. This is, this is a su- not a Friday, Saturday, but a Saturday, Sunday. According, um, according to my Google maps, um, Chicago Ridge is like 37 minutes from downtown Chicago. So I feel like it's not, not that different. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to double check. Now. All we're going to do on this episode apparently is Google to start off because I'm Googling now just to double check. Yes, according to Google Maps, Broxburn to London is 58 minute drive. So, yeah, right around an hour. So, um, yeah, you would think, again, uh, it sounds like from the, the talk on the Last Stop Penn Station podcast that Ian Riccoboni and uh, Carrie Silken did that we talked about on the last show, it sounds like the way Carrie talked on the, of that show, that he just kind of let Alex Shane kind of run, like, talk, you know, he, Alex Shane was the guy, the local promoter who, like, talked him into even running England, talked about, you know, like, these are the buildings we can run, blah, 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 but so I, it's kind of sounds like he was just like, well, even I have some has reservations about why are we running a building this small the second night? Like it was like he wanted it. So we're doing it. But yeah, it is kind of crazy. Maybe he had a deal with this building or something, but it is kind of crazy that you would not, when you were an hour from London, seeing how well the first show, you know, Liverpool ended up doing, you would not dr- try and find a building in, in like an hour vicinity that could draw, you know, 1500, 2000 seats, you know, but. It is funny, though, that uh, the PW Torch wrote afterwards, ROH announced they intend to run several shows per year in the UK. And in fact, the Observer would then add later, the plan for 2007 in Ring of Honor is to run, is to do two or three UK tours in the year. Now, to kind of jump ahead, they're only ever going to run two more shows during like the Sapolsky era in the UK next year, you know, a few months into the next year. And they're, they're, and both, they they're both going to be in Liverpool, right? Cause the, the, the Broxburn show was, was, was not, didn't happen that time. Right. Yeah. During this show, they announced, Oh, we're going to come back and we're going to do just like we did this time. We're going to do Liverpool and then Broxburn. And yeah. And when they do come back, they have scrapped the Broxburn. They're just doing two straight nights in Liverpool at the Olympia. So they, I think on um, like the Brit Wrestling Experience podcast, I, I don't know if they were 100 percent sure, but I think they were kind of talking about their their memory, their kind of memory of this was Alex Shane, the um between like the second UK tour of ROH and when they might have planned another one, Alex Shane kind of jumped from like oh TNA now wants to run England and they're gonna you know pay me more and so he just kind of abandoned Ring of Honor and maybe that's the reason why Ring of Honor maybe Ring of Honor was so reliant on him and just didn't feel like making the connections or doing the legwork themselves that they just decided, okay, I mean, if this guy's jumping to TNA now, I guess we're not going to run two or three UK tours in 2007. Makes sense to me. uh, Either way, we open in the ring with Bobby Cruz introducing Austin Aries. Austin comes out with his ribs taped up, Roderick Strong by his side. Roderick Strong, not the injured one. Uh, a, a crazy uh, difference from uh, his current role on AEW TV. And uh, Aries gets a nice reaction. Aries says this is going to be the hardest promo he's ever had to cut, which I was like, that seems a little melodramatic. But then I thought, well, he was young. He hadn't had that long a career. Maybe this was the hardest promo he ever had to cut. He goes, 
As much as I want to wrestle tonight, I've suffered broken ribs against the Briscoes the night before. Aries' voice actually cracks as he says this. So, you know, either he's pretty good at either this is some of the best acting I've seen from Austin Aries, or maybe he was kind of feeling like he was letting people down. But either way, um, his voice cracks as he says, as much as he wants to wrestle, his body won't let him. Crowd chants, thank you, Austin. And Roddy gives him a nice, you know, heartwarming hug when the final countdown hits. Well, also, but comes- also I'm just going to mention, he says, like, he doesn't think he can give the fans the performance they deserve, which kind of, you know, validates what we guessed last time, which is that, you know, the reason that he didn't work this show but worked other shows later in the week is that he didn't feel he could give an ROH-level performance, not because he couldn't do, like, anything at all. Yeah, and the roaring also made it sound like maybe he initially thought he had broken ribs, and then maybe shortly after he kind of re- found out, or maybe he went to a, a clinic or something, decided, well, they're just really badly bruised. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you're probably not going to wreck them more in that, you know, probably if you go gentle. But either way, the crowd chants, thank you, Austin. Final countdown hits. Um, out comes the new unified Ring of Honor champ, Brian Danielson, with both the pure and the world title belts. The crowd chants, fuck you, Dragon. Brian calls the fans in England stupid and goes on to say he's he's not just the best wrestler in the world, but he's the best champion in the world because he'd never allow broken ribs to stop him from wrestling. Um, Brian questions Aries' character and bits. He doesn't even have broken ribs, which actually turns out he's true. He, Brian was right about that. He's just collecting a payday. The crowd chants, fuck him up, Austin, fuck him up. And Brian says, Aries can't fuck him up even when he's healthy. So, like, let alone with screwed up ribs. Brian ke- tries to keep talking, but Roddy quickly snatches the mic away at this point. Roderick says that it pisses him off that Brian questions the character of one of the hardest working men in the business. Roddy, since he doesn't have a match tonight with Aries injured, then challenges Brian to a match tonight. There's a big pop for that. The crowd's ex- excited for that kind of impromptu, you know, a match. Brian says there's nothing in his contract. That says he has to face Roddy. The crowd chants pussy at Brian. Brian freaks out about that. Says, I've already beaten Roddy three times. Crowd chants pussy again. Brian says, Fine. You want me to kill Roderick Strong one more time? You've got it. As Brian goes to the back, he is in one of something that comes off incredibly random. He is attacked from behind by Sua with a kendo stick. In a funny moment, the crowd is chanting for Sua. And so Sua, like, you know, who played a heel the first night, who's now attacking the champion with a kendo stick, he pauses his kendo stick attack and gives like a very polite little bow to the crowd. And then he starts attacking Brian with the stick again. So very polite. He's like, yes, I acknowledge you guys are enjoying this. He then leaves, then Aries and Strong calmly walk by Danielson as he arrives in pain. So we're setting up, you know, double duty for Danielson. He's got not, you know, what do you do when Aries is off the show and you have to throw out the tag title match and all that? You know, you you put Danielson in, in, a, in a position to work two matches. Yeah, so first of all, I, uh, I like this segment. I think if you're going to set a bunch of stuff up, this is a good way to do it. It's good to get Aries out in front of the crowd. Danielson, I think, did a lot of good, like, crowd work and ad-libbing. Strong was, you know, for his part, okay, on the mic, you know, best you could expect at least. And I think, uh, I don't know, getting Sue involved seemed to excite the crowd, and I think, it all, I think it all worked out. I think this was a fun opening to the show. But it left me with the question, other than the tag team title match, what did they have to rearrange on this show? Do you have info on that? I tried to look up stuff, and I couldn't find... So many of my sources on the Wayback Machine are now, like, not available for this time period. Um, I, I probably could have looked even harder, but if so, it sounded like they announced way more for the uh, 
the Olympia show at the I mean the Liverpool show at the Olympia. Yeah, like, like they were gonna, show- like they were gonna like book the 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 Sunday show based on what happened on the Saturday show. And from the sounds of it, this show, the tickets, from looking at the research, this show, like the tickets sold out almost like really quickly. It sold out, and since it's only a few hundred tickets, so they probably thought, you know, it's the old, like, we really don't have to announce, I mean, anything really in the sense of we've sold the tickets, hmm. you know, so. Hmm. Sounds familiar um, to 2023 <laughs> ears, but I'm not going to say anything more than that. But I, I did see there was originally supposed to be Jimmy Ray versus Colt Cabana on this night. And obviously they were building last night. Was They had set up on the last night show for this night. It was supposed to be Aries and Strong versus the winners of that tag match. It was supposed to be Aries and Strong versus Doug Williams, uh, Jody English. Fleisch oh, yeah, and Doug, Doug Williams. Williams. Yes. Yeah, so we, we know those. So they switched that up. So it's Doug Williams, Jimmy Ray tonight. Colt Cabana's in a six-man tag. So that definitely changes. But Was yeah, it going to else... just be Danielson against Sua? And like, what would have been the main event in that case? It, it was just it's yeah. interesting to think about. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely something weird to consider because yeah, there aren't a lot of great candidates, right? Like if, yeah. if Aries is strong or used up, Doug Williams is used up. They're all in the same match. Um, Jimmy Raves wrestling Cole Cabana in this original card. I'm trying to think. You could have done Danielson Davy Richards, which we know they kind of had a thought of doing that like the first night in for Davy Richards before he got hurt. Um, is Danielson Matt Seidel big enough? I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, think kind of- I think Danielson and Richards would have probably gone over pretty well at the time. Yeah. Better than better than Danielson Seidel, I think. Yeah. Um so next up we get a uh, Go Shiyazaki in the opening match defeats BJ Whitmer via pinfall in fifteen minutes, twenty seconds after he hit a moonsault. So kind of a long opener, you know. So what'd you think about this one, Matt? Well, well, first of all, I want to mention that at the very beginning Jared David alludes to anarchy last night at the hotel, which kind of affirms some of the stories Alan told on our last show. Um, um, But I, um, uh, for this match, this is the sort of opener, like the indie style opener that you really rarely saw in ROH these days where they, I'm not going to say they had a main event style match, but it didn't seem like they were really holding back too much. Um, you know, they, they just went out there and, you know, they threw hard, hard strikes, had forearm battles, um, you know, they did dive to the outside and then they went into a bunch of near falls, um, you know, uh, Northern Lights, Brain Buster by Whitmer, both getting two counts, you know, uh, Fisherman Buster by Go getting a two count, Missile Dropkick by Go getting a two count, um, Whitmer came back with a, a loud form and a big boot, and then but then Go hit a, a super kick and like a swinging Uranagi slam for a two count, which was cool. Then it's funny because we got a this is awesome chant, followed by a shut the fuck up chant, which I feel like that was more apropos the night before when they were chanting this is awesome at like nothing. Um, at Whitmer, that was the, yeah. This is the wrong Whitmer match to get in that because yeah. Whitmer Claudio got the what I think I get. I call on that show maybe the most undeserved. This is awesome chant I've ever heard. But but obviously the this is awesome chant was already getting on some people's nerves by this point in 2006, even though it was still a pretty new chant because they it got to shut the fuck up chant. But then yeah, they go Mr. Moonsault. Um, uh, then uh, BJ ends up hitting a German suplex, flipping go all the way over. 
Um, eventually, both guys struggle to their feet and hit a double clothesline, and they're all they're knocked down, going for that big applause spot that I've talked about recently. So you could tell they were trying to go epic there. Um, they get up, Go hits another high knee. Whitmer comes back with a big lariat, gets a two count. Whitmer hits a dragon suplex with a bridge, gets a two count. Um, the Whitmer hits both hits both ropes, hits another lariat, but Go gets his feet on the ropes. They have a, another forearm exchange, which they have had a few of in this match, and they end up hitting the ropes and then hitting like running forearms. And then Whitmer gets a sudden drop kick to the leg, hits the ropes. And then Go hits his own lariat, which Whitmer kicks out of. Um, then uh, Shiyazaki gets on a grounded Cobra clutch, but Whitmer gets his foot on the bottom rope. And then Go hits a, a German suplex into the turnbuckle, followed by a bridging German suplex for another two count. At this point, I started to think it was getting excessive. <laughs> like, and So then uh, Shiyazaki goes up, hits another moonsault, uh, this time hits it, gets the clean pin, um, I was actually surprised by that finish, but I probably shouldn't have been given the politics involved. Um, but like, I think this is the sort of match that Whitmer is good at. Like, it's not a ton of selling, bomb throwing, near falls. Um, you know, if I definitely understand why people don't like it, because again, it's not a lot of selling and they're just like kind of excessive. Um, I think if this would have ended three minutes earlier, I like around the time they did the double knockdown spot. I would have probably liked it a lot. Um, I think it went three minutes too long, and it went to the point where I liked it a lot to just kind of where I just kind of liked it a little. Like, I thought it was a fun, like, over-the-top indie-style opener, but I don't think that it was... I don't think it, it... was as good as it could have been because I think they just overstayed their welcome a little bit. And again, this kind of match is not for everybody because they're just like out there doing stuff. Um, but the reason I say it went on too long is you, if you watch it, you will notice the crowd reactions get louder and louder until that point of the double knockdown spot. And then the crowd reactions get worse and worse after that, which tells me they, they peaked too early. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciated something different as an opener because you don't get this too often in ROH these, in this era. So I think that it was among the better openers that we've uh, that we've seen in a while. Yeah, it, it, this is one of those matches that you, where we kind of feel a little bit differently. But like a lot of things you said are, are like almost verbatim what I'm looking at in my notes for the notes I jotted down while I was while I was watching this. To me, this felt like the most BJ Whitmer. BJ Whitmer match that has ever BJ Whitmer. Like it's not his best match it, by, by a long shot, but I feel like this match kind of sums up BJ Whitmer. And then you were kind of touching on that too. Like there are a million suplexes and head drops and near falls and chops and hard lariats. Both guys are working very hard and yet it all feels kind of oddly generic to me. And to me, that's kind of how I think of BJ Whitmer where except in those certain special matches, like, you know, the Jimmy Jacobs matches, the Necro Butcher match, stuff like that, where, you know, BJ Whitmer is a guy who I always feels, I feel like he gives a ton of effort. He's like almost always giving you a really hard, honest effort, but he doesn't really have much of any other element of wrestling. You know, I don't think BJ Whitmer is a great storyteller or a particularly amazing seller. I don't think he has a very, you know, huge, amount of charisma i mean there are wrestlers that have less charisma than him but he doesn't have a ton of it you know he is kind of a work rate wrestler even though that term already by this era i think was out of date but kind of the literal sense like he works at a good rate and he gives you that and i don't think he gives you 
a ton else but that. And I think in this match is this is a pure work rate match. It's two guys doing a lot of stuff, working hard, hitting hard. Um, the crowd, I thought, did seem to love the match. I, uh, I, yeah, they did probably get overwhelmed, but they did. I mean, like on this night, even like I, I did notice exactly like I, again, I look at my notes. I, I noticed exactly what you did, Matt, which is. I feel like we were in 2005. We talked a lot about how something we noticed when we were rewatching 2005 ROH is how much a lot of the undercard matches kind of held back a little bit. Like they were where like compared to modern indie or even modern mainstream wrestling, that philosophy is way less prevalent. Now it's much more, you know, do a lot of stuff and we'll just try and top it later. Or if we don't top it, we'll, we'll deal with it. 2006, I feel, Ring of Honor, I feel like we they've been moving a little bit away from that. I think all you know, like guys have been given a bit more on the undercards, been getting closer. But this really did feel like watching this, like a like a PWG in the in the in the teens years of wrestling, where like the opener is just as balls out and has no restrictions as the main event that night will. Like these guys just go insane with the near falls and the spots and. You know, there are arguments for and against that, but I feel like on a show like this, where the card's been changed and you're not working, you know, Joe couldn't make it because of the TNA commitments. Homicide couldn't make it. Daniels couldn't make it because of the TNA commitments. You know, the area, the injury to Aries. I feel like th- if there ever is a night to just tell guys in a random opener, like, just go buck wild, like, do everything. This is probably the kind of show to do that on. And I bet that is exactly why they did it. Yeah. And, um, like, I would get... I would give this match, you know, Joe Lanza voices of wrestling has popularized. I've heard a bunch of other podcasts use it now, but I want to give credit the phrase, the gentleman's three, the idea of that match where you're not really that enthused with it, but they worked so hard that like you can, I can't deny it that it was not at least good by some metric. I'm kind of, this is, I kind of want to give this a good, but like a gentleman's three good where it was like, you worked really hard. There's something about that was just missing to me. You went overkill, but goddamn, you worked hard. And like, yeah. I can't say I was bored, but I, um, I, I'd probably go like the gentleman's three and a half. Like, I I feel yeah. like I feel like the same way you did, but I just feel like that was that's I val I, that's worth more to me than I guess what what you would yeah. describe. Yeah, and I do agree with your point too. Like. That I feel like there's some people that are probably gonna like this match more than us. And I bet you there's some people that are gonna outright like well, I, I think I've seen a couple of reviews. I know there are people that are outright probably really dislike this match, you know? Yeah. You know, it again, depends what again, you're looking for. Because again, no selling and overkill of near falls. <laughs> yeah. But you know, in terms of individual match highlights, I really like that sick looking BJ uh Whitmer Brainbuster, and maybe even like not a good highlight, but if you're asking me what I'm going to remember from this match, is it's that rare moment in wrestling where BJ at one point is running the ropes and the referee hasn't gone out of the way, so he has to sidestep him as he runs the ropes, which is always a funny moment for me. Um, and the other thing you, again, you mentioned, you brought up like, again, all, all the points I want to touch on, you did, you, you, you and me are simpatico lately. Um, is is that thing the booking like yeah probably because go one i mean go is from noah they probably felt like you know we should do this but i did feel like it was kind of odd booking in the sense of you know bj whitmer's coming off of like the most momentum he's ever going to have in ring of honor he just beat the necro butcher in that big match then the next show he beats claudio on you know the night before this on the double the first half of the double shot and he announces in a promo like you know it's time for me to chase a title and the very next night he loses clean <laughs> like 
you know, I, I get it. The card probably had to be tossed around. You do what you got to do, but it was kind of funny, like a weird time for him to take a loss. Um, we got the let's go, go chant, which is always funny that we got on the last show. Uh, Dave Prezak on commentary know that tonight's show has a sort of unscripted feel to it. So that little bit of a wink and a nod, or maybe not even much of a wink, basically just say, Hey, remember those other shows we ran called unscripted, unscripted two, when the card had to be shuffled because of crazy changes, like, that's basically what you're getting tonight. We're just not going to call it unscripted three. Yeah, yeah, no wink, just a big nod. Yeah, and um, and then at the end we get a little thing from Prezak where he remarks, "Hopefully we can go, see, we can see Go Shizaki back in Ring of Honor one day." And in fact, we would see him a bunch of times in Ring of Honor one day. So I wonder if they already knew at this point, like we're going to get him on this on excursion, or if this was just hopeful thinking, or if this was again, uh, was this a wink? But yeah, uh, go, go really didn't start come in ROH on, with any regularity really until like what 08 or was it later 07 I'm not even sure my, my memory for dates and crap is awful but it definitely is in the Gabe era yeah I remember a lot of him in 08 um, and I remember some good matches he had when they went to Japan in 07 um, but um, there's a really good match he had with Aries that was actually kind of similar to this in terms of like just like a lot of big near falls at the uh, anniversary show they held in 2008 but We'll get to that in several years. <laughs> Next, we join Jimmy Rave and Prince Nana backstage. Nana says they had an unbelievable night in Liverpool last night. He says they had more birds than the Beatles. Rave, meanwhile, is mad that the British fans threw toilet paper at him last night, even though he told the British fans, you know, don't do that. And as a result, he says there's hell to pay. I want to take on one of Britain's own tonight. He goes, I want to take on Doug Williams to get revenge on the British people. And again, this is one of those things I always point out. Ring of Honor, you know, it, it, it's a very minor thing, but they tried really hard to give you reasons for even matches like this, which was not originally scheduled. They go to the trouble of having Jimmy Rave shoot like this little 30 second promo to say, there's a reason why I want to wrestle D- Doug Williams tonight. Like it's very minor, but it's a connective tissue a lot of companies weren't doing, you know. And it's certainly a lot of companies don't do now either. So it's good. Yeah. To, yeah it's good to see. Um, Johnny Storm in our next match. Johnny Storm defeats Jody Fleisch and Spud in six minutes, 34 seconds. This is a three-way dance, not a handicap match, by the way. When he pins Spud with a half Nelson Mishinoku driver. At one point, Dave Prasak during this match on commentary says, future bookings in Ring of Honor could be on the line for these three men in this match. Now, nope. I looked it up on... Nope. <laughs> I looked it up on Cage Match. This would be uh, Jody Fleisch and Giant Storm's last matches with Ring of Honor until a 2018 double shot in the UK. So maybe they just had really long-term thinking there. <laughs> Spud would never wrestle for them ever again. So maybe that's it. He took the fall, Matt. That, you know, he could have been there in 2018, too, if he was available. If not for, you know, he, he, he didn't win. So, yep. and then Jared David adds on commentary. He says, the winner of this match will be remembered and they'll be known as the undisputed high flyer of the United Kingdom for who knows how long. I have a guess about how long I would say five minutes, 10 <laughs> minutes. I, 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 Being generous there, Trevor. <laughs> so, uh, this was six and a half minutes of spots. And while I've certainly, well, I've certainly seen a, ton of these kinds of matches that are that were better i've also seen many that were worse so this was this was fun enough i would describe it i think maybe the most impressive thing is like for a six and a half minute match where they tried to jam pack a ton of moves there was no like really huge significant botch of any kind like fleisch even hits his 720 springboard ddt that he whiffed on the night before he hits it clean here and um the real highlight of this match for me though was there was this sequence where johnny storm and sputter on the floor 
Storm has spun up on his shoulders for a power bomb. Uh, he sees Fleisch is springboarding to the top rope to like do a dive on on the outside. And so as soon as Jody Fleisch springboards onto the top rope, as he's standing on the top rope, he just kind of bounces uh, Spud in the power bomb position against the ropes, knocks uh, Fleisch off the rope, and then he power turns around and power bombs Spud into the barricades. And I don't know how much it hurt, but hot damn, did it make just this giant loud sound? And, you know, again, it's six and a half minutes of spots. There's not much more I can say other than I thought this was above average. It was, it was, not, it, you know, it wasn't long enough to be much more than that. It might have fallen apart. It was much longer than that. Um, it is kind of funny that the three of the Brit locals only get six and a half minutes on a show that's kind of besieged by injuries and guys that couldn't be booked on the show. But in terms of the opportunity they got, I think they did about as well as they could. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much agree. I probably even enjoyed it a little bit more than you, even though I don't have any, like, you know, there's no qualitative points that I could point to that make it better than what you said. Um, I think I just appreciated, this is like, it felt like kind of a throwback to a different era of ROH. You know, they don't, they don't have a ton of matches like this during this era. And, you know, just like the first match, I think that makes it stand out a little bit. It was fast-paced, you know, a little bit nonsensical, but, you know, how many ROH nonsensical scrambles did we see in uh, in the glory days before this? So it's, I, this felt like you know, a throwback match, especially when you had Storm and Fleisch made me feel like I was watching 2002 again. So I, um, I appreciate it on that level. I also... Uh, is is that move that that shooting star springboard shooting star double stomp a thing that Jody Fleisch did a lot? Because that was crazy, and I thought it was just supposed to be a shooting star press where he like landed on his feet, but the uh, the announcer said it was a double stomp that he 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 did. Do you know of him doing that yeah, move? I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't watched a ton of Jody Fleisch outside of like some of his indie work, but it is one of those things where. Yeah, like, I was thinking, like, I think Sanjay Dutt used to do the moonsault double stomp, and I was thinking, like, doing, like, a flip into a double stomp always seems so cool to me. I was like, why don't more guys do it? And my assumption is it probably is not, like, a particularly safe Yeah, it's harder to to control where you stomp, probably. You know what I mean? Like, the spot on the person that you stomp. And I assume that's important to not, like, breaking their ribs (laughs) or, or any other part of their body. Um so uh you know when the way you land on someone's important didn't didn't they say Danielson broke his forearm and when Okada like elbow elbow dropped him right yeah like basically so, yeah. Danielson said he stuck his arm out he had his arm like not pinned against his body and i guess just like the weight of Okada coming off the top rope landing on the arm broke his forearm Right. So it's like, it's important to land the way you uh, know you're supposed to land, right? Because I think it's dangerous even yeah. either way. So I think that's probably what it is. But it's a really cool move. There, 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 they had a lot of cool spots in their short time. Um, there was one that I liked where Fleisch picked up Spud and then stormed missile drop kick Spud's head, which spun Spud around into a DDT on Fleisch. I don't know. See if you could follow what I just said. Probably can't. But it, <laughs> It, trust me, it was cool and it was different. I liked it, um, but um, but yeah, I just like they tried a lot of stuff, uh, and uh, it was entertaining and it didn't overstay its welcome like I thought the previous match did. So I think that as far as an entertaining undercard that uh, is fun and has a lot of energy, I think they're two for two so far on the show. 
So um, after the match, the kings of wrestling, Chris Hero and Claudio Fascinoli, along with Chad Collier, run in and attack all three competitors from the last match. Fans start throwing a few rolls of the toilet paper they brought for Jimmy Rave at them. For the first time in ROH, Hero and Claudio do that really cool KRS-One finisher to Spud, where for people that haven't seen it, where basically they – they have it so their their opponents on their shoulders, where the guys basically like almost planking on their shoulders, where their feet draped over one guy's shoulders, his you know arms and whatever draped over the other guy's shoulders, and they basically just toss him in the air and flip him so he he goes up real high, just crashes down on his back. KRS One obviously a nod to the band, but I think Kiro said it stands for Kings Reign Supreme over everyone. By the band, so, you, by the band you mean the rapper, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, I sound like an old man. He'll that 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 singer KRS One, but um, Hero grabs the mic, gets showered with a uh, here fuck you Hero chance. Fans continue to throw he- toilet paper, and Hero asks one fan if they want to die. Hero says that la- that last match was inferior, and so is all of British wrestling. Hero says he hates Ring of Honor, he hates everything it stands for. Collier then gets hit right in the face with a roll of toilet paper that gets a huge pop, one of the biggest pops of the night so far, honestly. Hero says Collier's been an outcast since day one, and now ROH has turned their back on him, which they, they kind of have. Um, Hero says the kings of wrestling are here to ruin ROH's precious UK debut, at which point Nigel McGuinness and Robbie Brookside run in and attack them, chasing them from the ring. The crowd chants for Nigel as he grabs the mic and says he is damn proud to say that he's a British wrestler, and you can't say British wrestling without the name Robbie Brookside. Nigel challenges them to get their limey asses in the ring and take on the best British wrestling has to offer. Three on two. We don't care. Collier and the Kings of Wrestling then immediately take them up on that offer. They start beating down Nigel and Robbie very quickly. The numbers game wins out. Until Colt Cabana's music hits, he runs to the ring to attack the Kings of Wrestling and Collier chases them out of the ring. Cabana gets a big chant, calls the Kings of Wrestling girls, says next time the fans will throw tampons at them. Um... Colt says, Nigel and Robbie may be Britain's finest, but when Colt is outside of Chicago, he calls England home. He challenges the Kings of Wrestling and Collier to a six-man tag. He even starts an easy, easy, easy Big Daddy chant like he did the night before. The crowd does a big involved, hero is a pussy, hero is a pussy, na-na-na-na-na, hey, na-na-na-na-na, hey, chant. So, yeah, um, and that brings us to the match. It's uh, a six-man tag. Colt Cabana, Nigel McGuinness, and Robbie Brookside defeated Chad Collier and the Kings of Wrestling. Chris here on Claudio Castagnoli in 15 minutes, 38 seconds, when McGuinness pinned Collier after hitting the rebound lariat. So this would be uh, our farewell to Collier in the Gabe era of Ring of Honor. And, uh, yeah, uh, Nigel McGuinness. I don't know if they had bigger plans for Nigel tonight if he hadn't gotten a legit concussion the night before and, you know, gotten beaten all the shit and had to go to the hospital even the night before. But... This is what we got from him, and what do you think about the match, Matt? Well, like you said with the singing, I, I after seeing all like modern wrestling shows with all the singing from the UK crowds, I was wondering where it was on the Liverpool show, and they definitely brought it on this one. Unfortunately, a lot of the singing was incredibly homophobic, and <laughs> so I or or sexist. Um, so you know, just just so uh, the British could say, you know, we can't be out homophobe by the United States crowds back then. Uh, so that was not great. But they did do a lot of singing. Um, and um, as far as the match, first of all, actually, I want to mention. So, do you think that the Collier stuff from Unified was to set up why he joined the Kings of Wrestling team here, or do you think that was just a lucky coincidence? I think that was a lucky coincidence because if, I mean, if it's a storyline 
It's a storyline that has the, – they they were very – you know what it would remind me of? The people that still to this day are like the Montreal screw job was a storyline. It's like you really think they had that much commitment where it's like, you know what, Chad? We're going to do a storyline where we shit on you and then to really you know sell it, we're not going to book you ever again. Like that, at, at some point, that's not a storyline. Right, right. Um, All right. When I say storyline, I just mean like do you think that he wouldn't have said it on the DVD if not for this match? I guess that's more what I'm thinking. I'm not sure. I think if nothing else, I think this shows an awareness that like everyone involved knew that like we we had already stopped booking this guy. Like right. just the idea that Hero's able to bring up the idea that Ring of Honor's abandoned this guy. Like they were clearly acknowledging like, hey, Ring of Honor has decided that you know whether Gabe was playing into it the night before or not. I think those reflect kind of Gabe's real thoughts. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that. no, no doubt about that. I'm not. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't disputing that. I was just wondering if like it was like there was a method to the madness of saying that on a DVD release, which just seemed so over the top. But at the very least, it gives him a little bit of plausible deniability for being so rude on the on the <laughs> unified DVD. Um, but anyway, as far as the match. Um, I don't know. I just uh I didn't like it. Like I there there was there was fun stuff in it, but it just felt so like lackadaisical to me. It just felt like such a like there were so many charismatic characters in the match, you know, Hero, uh Cabana, Nigel, you know, I know you know even Brookside, um, you know, uh Collier, I guess I guess you could say he has charisma. It's a different it's his own unique kind. Um and Claudio does too. Um but like this just felt so slapped together, which I know that it was. So like I don't know. I guess like I'm not saying it was bad. It was probably even a little bit good, but I didn't enjoy it. It just felt it just felt like they were just messing around with the live crowd. And it was that's probably great for the live crowd, but it's really not so great uh watching on DVD. Um you know what I'm talking about? There, there are these matches like that. Just like they, they seem like they'd be a blast to be in the crowd for. But when you're not in the crowd for them, you're like, okay, this is all just kind of like missing for me, like miss going over my head a little bit. Does does that make sense? I good. I'll read you something I wrote in my notes for. This is word for word what I wrote in my notes at the time. Matt, Matt. Now to the crowd, they're live. They're having the time of their life. To the home viewer, I can see someone enjoying this, but I can also see them viewing this as a bit of a waste of these guys if they were hoping for a card with maximum action. This isn't really a high octane match, and only picks up in terms of excitement in the final minutes. So yeah, yeah. yeah like like yeah, yeah. This is a match where clearly you watch it and it feels like if you were just there to see these guys live and interact with them and shit talk them and chants and throw toilet paper. Like these fans are seeing like they're just loving this, but yeah, yeah, for us that have seen this acts, these acts a lot, we're not there live. It's not the novelty. Oh, it's the first time they've ever come to our country. It's a different experience, right? It's a completely different experience. Yeah. So, I mean, so they just kind of fool around a lot early. There's a decent amount of stalling. Um, There was a, one point where Prezak said on commentary, how did Hero weasel his way onto two ROA shows in a row? And I'm just thinking, like, you know what? That's a good question, Dave Prezak. Storyline-wise, it's like, you probably shouldn't just not let this guy have two impromptu matches because you'd think that probably part of the deal is, involves getting paid for these matches, right? If, if, <laughs> if you don't like him. Um, there was one point where, where, where Brookside took Hero down and ties him up while you could just hear Cabana on the apron yell, like a pretzel! Um, from the apron, like which was funny to me. Also, that's a good song by Madonna, like a pretzel. 
Got like a virgin. Salted for the very first time. Like a virgin. Like a prayer. Like a pretzel. Just like a pretzel. I'll take you to Wetzel's. It's like a dream to be. I'm so sorry. Um, um, but we've yeah. been on a tear this week. Yeah, we've yeah we've all been on on various tears, haven't we? Um, just as long as nobody tears their prostate. Um, is that a thing that happens? I don't know. I'm not sure. Write <laughs> into through the years at gmail dot com if a man can tear his prostate. <laughs> Or if anyone, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. but um, but yeah, I um, you know, then they, they do start doing more moves, you know, more two counts, you know, um, Claudio sits on the top rope and drives his knee into Nigel and kind of rides him down, uh, gets a two count off of that. Um, Brookside hits uh, an iconoclasm and does this like wacky pinning combo with a bridge at one point. Um, Collier gets a quick power slam on Brookside. There's one point where Nigel hits Claudio with the Tower of London. Claudio comes in with the Alpamari water slide. Then Brookside hits Claudio with a cradle suplex. Then Hero comes in and hits Brookside with the spinning cravat slam. Then Cabana drops Hero's neck on his knee. Then Collier hits a German suplex on Cabana. And we get our second time of the night where everyone is down and gets the big applause. Man, I spoke too soon about not having enough matches with that, huh? Um, <laughs> I heard you. Yeah. For the years. They, yeah, they did. They heard me echoing in the ages. That's what we should change the name of our podcast to. Um, but um, <laughs> wouldn't that be random if we just did that? Um, We'd then, have to cover like a promotion that has like the initials like CHO and capitalize that. Yeah, it's like when um, IHOP became IHOB. <laughs> oh, you mean the International House of Burgers? Yes, of course. Um, no, uh, but so so then we, uh, we eventually get um, Nigel and Collier trading forearms, which and that's another thing we got in a previous match. And then Collier drop kicks Nigel into the rebound lariat, and Nigel gets the pin on that. So I guess one thing you could say is they're getting the the I guess what they eventually call the jawbreaker lariat over as a finisher. But I just thought the match was weird and didn't flow, and uh, I thought it was honestly maybe the low light of the night for me. So um, to me, this match, you know, if I, I talked about like the, the opener, Shiozaki, Whitmer having like that PWG vibe of the opener can be as crazy as the main event. This had that PWG vibe of the 10 man tag on the Bola weekends, the final night where they take a bunch of guys that have been eliminated from the from the tournament and just have like a really goofy comedy match. Now, they didn't go that as crazy with the comedy on this show, but it, it was very much it felt like one of those matches where. Yeah, like you were saying, kind of lackadaisical, kind of like, we're just here to kind of, like, we're not going to try and thrill you. We're, we know you're going to have a good time watching us. We're, you know, we're going to kind of take it easy a bit. You know, we're just going to do a bit, a lot of crowd interaction, a little bit of comedy, maybe give you a few big spots at the end. And again, I can see if you were there live, you, you would have loved this. You know, clearly the, I think the crowd there, they absolutely love to hate Hero and Claudio. Um, I liked Claudio here as the chicken shit heel with his hilariously horrendous impression of Colt Cabana, which consists of him saying, I'm Colt Cabana, and that's all. And later on, there's a moment where he, like, runs to the crowd and Colt chases after him, and Claudio, like, jumps on, like, this risen area that's on the, like, almost like a bleacher that's on the fans are sitting at, and he just books it, like, across, like, super fast. And I thought stuff like that was amusing. 
Um, but yeah, I, I can, if you just want kind of a laid back match, I can see people liking this to me. It, it, you know, if you just want, again, if you're like, I'm paying 15, $20 for the DVD at the time and the, my hard earned money, I want to see like, you know, there's a lot of good talent in this match. I want to see like good matches. You know, this match really does only pick up in those final minutes right after when Brookside makes the hot tag to Nigel. But then again, I feel bad criticizing that because Nigel came to this match fucked up, like Prezik on commentary multiple times and during this match he even tries to sell that, like, you know, Nigel should not even be wrestling tonight. Um, Which is definitely true. Yeah. And, the, and you know, they Nigel does kind of get the stretch run where that's the time where the match picks up and he gets to shine a bit. It's f- surprisingly cold for a guy that's so beloved in the UK, who's a very good wrestler, who was coming into this fresh. Like, he gets used very little in this match to the point where late in the match, the, some, the crowd actually starts, uh, we want Colt, ch-, and then almost immediately they tag him in. But it was like, it was like, yeah, I did notice that too. Like, the same time the crowd did, like, man, Colt's barely in this match. But, so I, I put this as like a, a very low above average because I, I was decently entertained, but I could see people liking it even less. Like you sound like you did. I could see people again, if you just kind of want the vibe of just, I want, heel shenanigans i want a lot of crowd interaction you do get that stuff um other notes from this match uh the fans uh sing chant when hero that hero takes it in the ass so they were really going with the songs hero hero got a hug from claudia on the outside to soothe him from that there was a cheating bastards chant to which Prezak on commentary said, I love the accent, but he just was really appreciating that they weren't, I'm not going to attempt a, a British accent. I can't do accents, but they were chanting b- cheating bastards, but in the way a British gentleman and gentlewomen would say, um, Bastards. <laughs> yeah, send your, send your hate mail my way, everybody. And also, I will say, Colt wasn't in much, but he did take a very nasty-looking bump from a Chad Collier German suplex. Like, if, if you are maybe I don't know if I should call that a highlight, but it was one of the more like in a match that didn't have a lot of big action moments. That was a moment where I was like, "Ooh, look at that!" But um, we then joined Doug Williams backstage. He says it's great to be back in Ring of Honor. He accepts Jimmy Rave's challenge and he wishes him the very best of British luck. Uh, the most notable part of this very short, very unnotable promo was Doug Williams was wearing a Minoru Suzuki t-shirt. So, uh, Doug Williams ahead of the curve here. Yes. Also, it's just, it is no- notable that even like Doug, Doug Williams even got like promo time. You really haven't seen a Doug Williams promo on an ROH show since those very early appearances where they basically gave everyone a promo back in the 2002 yeah. shows. But so, so it was nice to hear from him. My good pal, Doug. And next we join Bobby Cruz back on the ring as he thanks the live fans on behalf of ring of honor for making this entire weekend possible. He then announces that ring of honor will return to the UK going to Broxburn on March 2nd and Liverpool, the Liverpool Olympia on March 3rd, which again, as we mentioned, they will not be going back to Broxburn. They will just be doing two nights in Liverpool. Um, Brian Danielson then walks back out to the ring and snatches the mic away from Cruz. Brian says he's been trying to get a hold of Sua since he attacked him, and apparently he won't come out and fight Brian unless he puts the title on the line. Well, then Brian says, well, Sua, get your butt out of here. I'll put the title on the line, I'll beat, and then I'll beat you. Then I'll beat Roddick for the title later. Out comes Sua. We get our impromptu, our first of two ROH World Title Matches. Brian Danielson successfully defends the title, defeating Sua via pinfall in 10 minutes, 8 seconds with a small package. Um, Matt, this match I felt like was a real curiosity in the Danielson title ring, which we've seen every match of. First off, starts saying you don't 
you, you don't see Brian do very often. He's done occasionally with like matches with homicide and stuff, but that's is it starts with a crowd brawl. Sue like immediately chucks his candlestick at Brian. Brian comes outside. They, they just start throwing. They brawl to the back of the building, which isn't that far again, not a big building. And then, uh, then one, the key spots of the match are really the night. Sue hits Brian hard in the head with one of the building's chairs, but they're not folding chairs. They're like just legit chairs and immediately just opens up a big, badly bleeding gash on the back of Brian's head. Um, and then the real weirdness starts. It's as weird as that, that, you know, that's mildly weird for Danielson stuff. The, you know, the, the, the weird, the, the cut is weird, but the weird seems soft selling, but the, the fact that it starts the crowd, ball, the real weirdness is when they get back in the ring and the match officially begins because one of the main characteristics of Brian's RH world title reign, I think we've seen is how dominant he usually is in his matches. I go as far as to say in his entire career, not just ring of honor, He's never been booked as more of a dominant figure and worked in the ring as more of a dominant figure than the ring of our world title run he's in the middle of here. And if anything, Brian could occasionally be border on eating up his opponents at times if, in, during this reign if they didn't, like, assert themselves. And then you watch this match. Brian gets almost no offense in the first half of this match. And by the end of the match, I would say maybe he got 15% of the total offense of the match. He gets overwhelmed, like, in a way... You never see him during this title reign. Like, he's losing strike exchanges to Sua. Sua's outright no-selling Brian at one point early in the match. Even when Brian wins, it's with, like, a small package out of desperation, like, against the flow of the offense. Like, Sua's back on offense. Brian just gets a small package and, like, bails out of there. And if you watch this match in a vacuum, you think that Brian would, was, like, an underdog that was, like, two or three l- rungs lower in the company's hierarchy than Sua, rather than Sua being, like... The kind of liked, but like not a particularly giant star who's never been in the company before except this weekend. Um, I still enjoyed the match, though, I will say. Um, Sua works at a more methodical pace than you usually see in Ring of Honor, but it's also focused in the sense he's really focusing on Brian's back. At one point, he even karate chops Brian's head cut, too, so I appreciate that he was kind of focused on things in the match. He's also good about, I noticed watching this match where he will do some submission work or something, but then he will break it up with a move like that's more exciting. Like he'll do like a submission, then a tilt a whirl backbreaker, then back to a submission. Like he's, he, he's trying to break things up to make sure that the crowd doesn't lose attention. I can't go higher than good on this. It was not a match where they were going to show steel or anything like that, like maybe three and a quarter stars. And it's a very weird match and maybe I just enjoyed the novelty of it, but it's something completely different. I mean, in a very kind of bizarre way, I would say. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that aspect of it, honestly. Like, uh, that it was something so different. I mean, really, you didn't really get to see Danielson work like this ever in ROH until, what, the Morishima matches, right? And I think even in the Morishima matches, he wasn't quite as dominated as he was here. Um, I guess we'll, we'll see when we watch them. But, I, the, you know, Danielson being like such an underdog made this so interesting. I think the one thing that probably would have made it better is if the crowd was on Danielson's side while he was getting the shit kicked out of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if like they were rooting for him to cuz even when he, you know, made his comeback and won, they still booed him. Um but so that made it a little bit weird, but I just I enjoyed how different it was. I also thought that it and then, because of this, added intrigue to the Roderick Strong match, because then it's like, okay, Strong, like Danielson's coming in weakened, and he's really weakened. You know, besides the gash on his head, his back has been worked on. You know, which is you know kind of softens him for uh, for Strong's offense. So I think in that sense, 
this was effective. Um, a negative is, you know, based on this, you would think, all right, well then, Sua absolutely needs to get a rematch because you know, he's taken it to Danielson like no one ever has. Um, but instead, this was obviously just a one-off, and that wasn't going to happen, and they never really ever mentioned it again. So yeah. I, um, so that that's the one negative. But as a match, I thought it was it was interesting and and fun and good. Um, and uh, Sua at one point wiped Danielson's blood on the ref's face, and I just thought to myself, "Man, am I glad I don't work in wrestling." I am just way, way too germaphobic. I've said this before. I'm just way too germaphobic for this. I, I don't know how people do this. Um, the, at the end of the match, um, they were doing uh, headbutts and stuff, and I'm just like, man, this is not a good weekend for Brian Danielson's head. You know, never mind, um, never mind Nigel's, obviously, but but even Danielson, because he did a lot of headbutts in the match the night before. He's doing a bunch of headbutts here, you know, and it's just, it's just, I guess it stands out to me more because you know that it did come back on him, you know? Like, it's yeah. not like this, it's not like this stuff had no consequences. We know for sure it had very major consequences. So it's, it makes it a little bit harder to watch. But yeah, I, uh, I, I thought this was a cool match. Yeah. And, and the cut on the head, like, um, this, the crowd at one point, someone in the crowd, it, I don't think it was many people, it was my, probably just one person, they tried to start a You Need Stitches chant, which if that had caught on, that might have been one of the only ones in wrestling history, and I can't say that fan was wrong. I, I think he did need stitches. Um, after the match, Prezak on commentary notes that Danielson has now beaten two wrestlers from Pro Wrestling Noah, you know, Marifuji and Sua. So I thought that was a nice, again, a little touch to say, hey, you know, Danielson's on the march to Kenta, and he's beaten some other big juniors in, in Noah, and he's on the way to the biggest one. Um, we now return backstage to find Davey Richards and Matt Seidel. Richards says a lot of people, a lot of people in Ring of Honor are wondering why he and Seidel are tagging up tonight. Davey says that's simple. The Briscoe brothers, they both have issues with them. And then Seidel says there's no way they're going to stop this combination of dynamic wrestlers, which is such an awkward verbiage. It almost felt like Maybe Ring of Honor was scripted for just this one promo because that sounds like yeah. you're not going to stop this combination of dynamic wrestlers. Well, that's like, just mm. like super like like white meat baby face to the max right there. Yeah. Again, more, you know, attention to detail with the idea of like, well, why? Like the, the fact that Gabe felt like we got to explain why are Davey Richards and Matt side? I mean, the real reason is we've had a bunch of injuries, but like they're just like, hey, you know, and, and to be fair, you know. There is tenuous, like, it doesn't feel like either guy has a hugely pressing thing, but like, Richards and, you know, Kenta did recently wrestle the Briscoes. Seidel, you know, he's out, you know, Generation Next is disbanded, but the Briscoes have recently had a problem with his former Generation Next friends. So yeah, technically they do both have reasons they might want to wrestle the Briscoes. So yeah, whatever. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's good that they did it, but also whatever. Yeah. They're they're baby faces and the Briscoes are heels. Boom. You did it. (laughs) <laughs> um, Doug Williams defeats Jimmy Rave with Squirt to the Ring by Prince Nana via pinfall in 20 minutes, 58 seconds with the Chaos th- Theory suplex. Uh, before Rave comes out, Nana appears before the crowd like he did the night before, and he says, the night before tonight, we were in that dump, Liverpool's England, not Liverpool, Liverpool's England <laughs> last night. He says, we were trying to luxuriate and think about the finer things. I, I like the idea. He's not do the finer things. We're trying to think about the finer things. He was just imagining eating shrimp cocktail. You're distracting um, me from thinking about luxury. 
He says, but, but all we could see were people with teeth that weren't taken care of for many, many years. He says. <laughs> <laughs> And that actually gets a bigger. The crowd really enjoyed that. They, 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 you know, oh, this crowd loved booing the heels. They were like, you know, that's a good line. The, yeah, the, we'll, just we'll the, take that. the turns of phrase are just so good. So Nada says he's gonna tonight. He's gonna party and then take a jet right out of this dump. I hope. Fans, I hope that I hope they let Nana cut a promo on the Brits at Wembley Stadium. I mean, he could do this promo verbatim because how many people have actually seen this promo? I mean, that would be great if he just started talking about their teeth and trying to think about the finer things in life. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, fans start throwing toilet paper at Jimmy. Basically, the second, like, this crowd was very toilet paper happy. Like, usually in America, the fans wait for, you know, him to get into the ring. Fans start throwing toilet paper at poor Jimmy Ray. The second he comes out of the curtain, they start throwing it at him. I was like, "This this might be the toilet paper record right here. Yeah, they they went nuts. So, um, but yeah, that, that's again. This is another match that was not in the cards. This was supposed to be Ray versus Cabana. They give this a lot of time again because probably because hey, the uh, the card's been shuffled up. Matt, what'd you think about this? Nearly twenty one minutes here. Well, you know that I'm a Doug Williams guy, so I'm gonna be higher on his matches in ROH probably than other people are. Um, I would say this was a tale of a couple of matches because I thought the first half was slow but logical, and I liked it. Um, then there was a, a, a botched superplex, which I'll get to in a minute. And after that, the match became exciting but kind of illogical, but overall got the crowd going. So I thought it was a good match. I, I thought it was probably too long. Like I think this this match doesn't really seem like it was one that needed to be uh, 20 minutes, but... You know, again, I you know I really enjoyed Doug's um, uh, mat work at the beginning. Uh, I like that at the very beginning of the match, Jimmy Rabe doesn't immediately stall. He goes into like exchanging holds, and at one point, Williams has like has Rabe's legs kind of wrapped up, and he's. He goes, he looks at the crowd, he's asking for toilet paper, suggesting that he's going to take the toilet paper and wipe Jimmy Rave's exposed ass. And when I say exposed, <laughs> when I say exposed, he is wearing his tights. But I just mean like he has him in a position where his like, his ass is reachable, I guess is what I would say. Um, so I've never seen a wrestler suggest that he wanted to wipe another wrestler's ass before and no one gives him the toilet paper so he does not in fact do it and i guess we'll never know if he actually would have um but they the crowd was chanting the same homophobic stuff at um at rave that they normally do and also the same stuff they chanted at hero but there was one new novel homophobic chant because they chanted jimmy swallows at him and when he tells them to shut up they respond by chanting Jimmy Spitz, which <laughs> I've never heard. But it is also possible that maybe what they were actually chanting was Jimmy Smits. Um, I knew you were going to do this. Who is from, you know, NYPD Blue, The West Wing. What else am I? Am I oh, LA, LA Law. Isn't um, he in some Star Wars thing or something? They're all in Star Wars nowadays. Yeah, yeah, probably. But, you know, I'm old, so that's what I know him from. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, that's probably what they were chanting because um, they were big fans of the West Wing in England. Um, so, I, um, 
But yeah, um, Gabe comes back on commentary at one point also. Just, just This time he's not burying anybody. He's just basking in the glow of being in England. So this was a little bit less of a newsworthy appearance by uh, Jimmy Bauer on commentary. Not to be confused with another Jimmy who's uh, related to this match, Jimmy Smits. Um, but um, – get it because I was going to say – never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, – at one point, Rave ducks down. He causes Williams to fall to the outside, and then Nana gets some shots in. There's a lot of Nana interference in this match. It seems like it was sort of like they were playing their greatest hits a little bit. But I think you know having to work around Doug's technical style helped uh, helped Rave kind of do something a little bit different. And I think he kept up pretty well. So the the big botch was that Williams goes up on top, and Nana grabs his leg which allows Rave to run up into the super the superplex spot. But instead, Rave shoot crotches himself on the top rope. At least I'm like 90% sure it was a shoot. Because they continue to battle, and, you know, they, they Doug could have done his own move there, but instead they just punch each other until Rave recovers and hits the superplex, which I thought made it obvious that it was a botch. You know, the fact that they were like, yeah. okay, we can't ad-lib here. We're just going to keep working until you can hit the spot you were planning on hitting. Um, but the real unfortunate part of this was, oh my god, that probably really hurt to, like, crotch yourself on the top rope without knowing that you were going to. You know, like, yeah. when you do it in a planned way, at least you sort of probably know a way to do it to mitigate the pain. But if you just like, imagine just falling like into a split position on the top rope, which is made of like a steel cable. Imagine how badly that hurts. Um, so yeah. I, felt, I felt really it, bad for Rafe. It's crazy that like, I wonder how many, there's probably, there's got been a bunch of them, but like, I can't remember like the uh, another time in wrestling where I felt like off the top of my head, like I've seen like a shoot, crotch spot because that always seems whenever you see it like it's such a comical over the top spot like but this was like literally like yeah i'm pretty i am like you i am sure this was because they immediately repeat the spot like the, you, if you want to see a shoot like guy crotching himself on the ropes anarchy in the uk from 2006 ring of honor is for you yeah exactly now at this point they do pick up the pace um you know um at one point nana helps rave up but williams knees rave into nana he misses a top rope headbutt, or he hits the top rope headbutt, uh, gets a gets a two count. It goes for the chaos theory. Rave blocks, but runs into a belly to belly overhead throw, and then Williams hits ten consecutive European uppercuts in the corner. But Rave immediately comes back with a spear out of the corner. So it's like, okay, well, I guess those European uppercuts are not that impactful. <laughs> um, Rave uh, drops Williams on his knee, hits a DDT. Uh, he goes for a belly to back superplex, but Williams keeps knocking him off. Um, he teases that second rope gonorrhea, like the one he hit from the night the night before. But Williams hits a schoolboy off the middle rope, which you don't see too often. But Rave rolls through it, hits the knee to the face, gets a two can off that. Um, Williams gets a two can off a quick roll up, and then a jackknife pin. Um, Williams ducks a roundhouse and goes for the chaos theory, but Rave blocks again. Does a roll up with his feet on the ropes, gets a two count from there. Uh, Williams blocks the greeting from Ghana, and then Nana holds him while Rave runs at him. But Doug moves, and Rave knocks Nana off the apron. And then Williams hits a big lariat, hits the bomb scare for a pretty believable near fall. Um, Rave hits from dusk till dawn into the crossface, and now the crowd's really into it. They're begging Williams not to tap. Um, Williams escapes, does the hammerlock hold with a bridge, but Rave makes the ropes. 
And then Rave sidesteps the knee, hits the spear, then hits the running knee, gets another two count, goes again for greetings from Ghana, but Williams reverses into the chaos theory and gets the clean pin, which is another job I was surprised. I was surprised to see Rave lose here, and I'm not really sure what the politics for that were. Um, but I will say this, you know, I, I like the match and I did think, you know, they just sort of, it's, it sort of felt too much like they flipped the switch right there and just like suddenly did all their big moves, hit a, got a ton of near falls. But I thought it was very enjoyable the whole way through. Um, just maybe would have been better if it was a little bit shorter and a little bit kind of toned down. Um, but don't you think at this point it's starting to feel like Rave is a little bit adrift? Like, probably more, yeah. more than he's been at any point since he, he joined up with Nana. Like, it's like, he's jobbing here to guys who are not even part of the company. He really has no storyline. You know, when, when Sal Renaro was there, you know, they could sort of book the around the whole dynamic between the two of them. But even that's not really a push or a storyline. You know, it, I, I can, at, that, at this point, I can sort of understand why... Gabe decided a few months later to kind of repackage him without Nana because he really felt like they did not really know what to do with him at this point. Well, as I understand, and we'll get to it, I guess, at the time, I think it was Nana's decision to leave Ring of Honor. And yeah, you know, th- then it seems like they changed whatever plans because it felt like they were kind of trying to do the Jimmy Rave, Sal Renaro tag team with the idea of Sal being the abused partner that eventually stands up for himself. But then once Nana goes, they very quickly drop that too. And yeah, so I was going to say, as adrift as Rave is starting to feel here, he's going to get more adrift in a little bit because he's going to lose two other parts of his act coming up in the next few shows but yep. um i thought of jimmy raves the night before was him being like more indie super worker than we had seen by the end of that match with davy richards than we had really seen by raven quite a while in ring of honor this is more heel jimmy rave to the nth degree like it's a slower at least in the in the first half like it's slower more methodical in fact the first five minutes of this match to me felt more like a backdrop to the crowd than anything else because as much as the fans enjoyed booing chris hero earlier in the night they enjoyed booing jimmy rave a hundred times more they showered him with all those chants and um so yeah it felt like you know you know it was enjoyable williams mat work but also felt like just like let's just let this crowd have their fun yelling at rave for a long time and then we'll get to wrestling and um like most rave matches he only gets control for the first point in the match when he cheats in this case he throws williams to the floor distracts the rest so now i can attack him and like you mentioned not interferes a lot in this match in fact i don't think matt we've ever seen nana do as much interference in one match as he has here, maybe like he's attacking Williams multiple times. He's pulling him by the leg to break up a near fall. He's even runs in the ring, does his big running hip attack in the corner. Like he's done all these things, but I don't know if he's done them all in the same, in the same match. Like uh, yeah. it all builds to Nana holding Williams arms behind his back, you know, Williams ducking rave, charging him. And like Nana's great in this match and the crowd loves chanting against him. It, it's the right call for this crowd, but I do wish they, again, like I always do, they protect the refs a bit better because there are some spots in this match where they don't even, some spots they do distract the ref, but some spots they don't even try and hide it. In fact, I think Prezik on commentary at one point even says like the ref should have called for a DQ there, which. But again, I, but again, it's ROH and you know, they don't do that. You know what I mean? Like they, they, yeah. we, we've been over this, like the, yeah. like their, their disqualification rules are completely a matter of convenience to a storyline. Otherwise it's, otherwise it's basically a no DQ promotion. Um, the only other matches that I could think of where Nana might've had comparable levels of interference were some of the 
matched with CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good poll actually. That those might have been on this level, but then like like you, I agree. This match it kind of gives you your usual final five minutes of ramped up bigger moves and near falls, except a lot of Jimmy Rave matches these days don't have that. And like you, it did feel kind of bolted on, like almost like this was kind of your more moderate kind of minimalist, more focused on the heel work Jimmy Rave match. And then it kind of felt like at the end, they were like, well, this is a night where they gave us a lot of time. Like the cards kind of thin. We need to kind of carry some of the load of like the big, exciting stretch run match load. And it felt like they just kind of bolted on. Let's do five minutes of bigger stuff that maybe I normally wouldn't do in this era. And they did here. I did like that. He tried for the second rope gonorrhea because he had never done at least in ring of off, to, off the top of my head until the night before. So I like the idea that like, he he does it the first time. It works. You know, it, it, it's a big move. So he decides the next night, like, I'm immediately going to go right back to this. I, I like that he tried it. Um, I felt like this was another one of those matches where the crowd live was having an absolute blast because they just love interacting with the heels and seeing this live. For me, it's a it's another strong, like, good, like a three-and-a-quarter-star match. It, you know, it's kind of your formula mid-card Jimmy Rave heel match with extra healing, a great crowd, and then, like, this bolted-on more main event, quote-unquote, style closing stretch. Um, we got the Princess Nana chant, too. I don't know if... uh. We, uh, that has to have happened before, but I, it seemed novelty. I was like, I, I'm shocked this doesn't happen more often, given yeah, but, wrestling but they, but, fans. But, but, but this crowd really loved their homophobic and gender-related chants. Like, they really loved it. I think more than most. Um, there was also a moment I liked where um, Gabe, when he gave, came on commentary, he, he talks about like how great the weekend has been, like you said. But he goes, I've been listening to the commentary in the truck. And I just – <laughs> Ring of Honor seems no like Ring of Honor sometimes is surprisingly honest with like acknowledging their indiness. There's nothing more funny to me when they go the other way when they're like the idea that this is live and there's like a production truck in the back. I I, I love that. Like I'm you know I'm listening to the commentary and got got to tell you guys. Um, oh, that was <laughs> you know. And then of course after the match, Raven Nana even get the Nana Nana Hey 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 Goodbye chant as they leave. So again, this crowd went apeshit on the chants. Also, there's a point in this match where Nana tries to psych Rave up by showing the Ghana flag, which gets booze. Uh, and I felt like. That is like the most generic xenophobia because it's like, how many fans in that crowd like know anything about Ghana? Like, right. boo, how dare you? The Ghana flag, our mortal enemies in Ghana. <laughs> like, 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 like you're, you're literally at that point just, just booing the gesture. Like you, you know the response it's supposed to get. But if you asked any of those fans, how much do you know about Ghana? Like, how many of them are going to give you an extensive answer? But they booed it all the same. Um, Next, we see Brian Danielson backstage and his head cuts being checked by the doctor. And man, that did it look gnarly, like a huge open gash. It was yeah, actually com- almost- com- comparable to that Adam Pierce one from the 100th show. It, it was to the point where it's actually like, I-, I can handle this kind of stuff, but I feel like there are some like, like we talk about these days, like warnings for content and stuff. I-, I think some fans probably could have done with like a quick little graphic on the screen saying, you're about to see something very graphic because man that was a a gross ass cut that they they really show you um 
Brian says a cut isn't going to stop him. He's going to prove once again why he's the best Ring of Honor champion of all time. So basically that promo was just an excuse to show you, look how badly this guy's legit cut right now. He's going to go and wrestle another match tonight. Um, that brings us to the semi-main event. The Briscoes of Jay and Mark Briscoe defeat Davey Richards and Matt Seidel in 26 minutes, 35 seconds, when Jay pins Seidel. You think, they had, time, you think, they, you think they had time to fill on this show? <laughs> Exactly. I, I mean, that's one of the themes of the show is a lot of matches got like an extra five minutes, probably more than they would have got on other shows. So yeah, the match ends when Jay pinned Seidel after he and Mark hit that simultaneous Mark Briscoe cutthroat driver, where at the same time, Jay's coming off the top with the flying leg drop to the head. Um, this match gave me a minor crisis when I was watching it, Matt, and before the end stretch, because I came into this match remembering that people really liked it. It has a high rating on cage match. I forget what, but it's pretty damn high. And halfway in, I felt like, okay, there's a fair amount of moves with a Z here, but there's nothing else to this match. And then I started realizing I've been making that criticism. I've been noticing I've been making that criticism more on recent episodes of through the years. And I felt like this is kind of a transition era where different guys are coming in and styles are evolving. And the focus from some of the wrestlers is starting to be more on just pushing the pace and jamming as much ash as you can over personality and storytelling and selling. And I started and I, and I like those matches, but you know, I also am on the record. Those matches kind of age the worst because the bar always gets risen for those kinds of matches. And I started to worry like, am I going to check out of this match and this era of ring of honor is, is like kind of retroactively passing me by. Like I started to freak out a little bit. And then in the final eight minutes of this match, this match hits that crazy level that completely wins me over. And I breathed a sigh of relief, at least for one night, because um, this is a 26 minute match. And I think around 18 minutes. And I checked the time when this happened, Dave Prezak says something to the effect of Davey Richards has done pretty much everything he can do in this match but his finisher. Now he actually hadn't, but it, but Prezak's point I think stood where it did feel like around that point in the match, like this was a point where they had done enough where the match easily could be ending, entering its final minute. And they don't do a final minute. They do another eight or more minutes of nothing but huge spots and near falls from that point. It almost felt like a nineties, all Japan match, not in the style of the match, but just in the, that idea of if you've seen a lot of those nineties, all Japan main events where, the stretch run of the match just keeps going and going and going and get, it never it loses you. Or at least, you know, and maybe it loses some people. Maybe it'll, you'll say it, you lost you. It didn't lose me, I'll say. It just, you know, eight minutes of just more, more, more. And if I could sum this match up with like one sentence, it's the fact that Jay Briscoe did the Steiner screwdriver and it wasn't the finish. Like, that's a kill death crazy move you hardly see wrestlers ever bring out. You don't see Jay Briscoe do it. And he does it in this match. And it's not the end. It's that kind of match where you're just doing everything you can do. And you're just, you know, excess to the nth degree. Um, really, that was this. And again, I'll go back to like what I said with the Whitmer Shiazaki match. I'm not always a fan of this kind of overkill for a variety of reasons, which I probably talked to talked about in prior, prior episodes. But if this was ever a show for that, it's this, these kind of matches on this kind of show where, you need to kind of make up for some losses in talent. You need to, t you know, give these fans like their money's worth in some way. And the way you do that is basically t it's felt like on the, on the show in some of these matches, they just told the guys, we're not going to tell you to hold back tight. Do as long as you want, whatever you want, go friggin' nuts. And this is a match where they did that. They, they went nuts. They did more in this match than so probably some main events would do. 
And overall, I would give this like a flat four stars. I think it's a great match, but like low great. But because, again, there there are parts of it where I was kind of antsy in the first half. I was kind of numb to it, not bored, but kind of numb. Again, it's another match that doesn't really have a lot of the intangibles. But goddamn, did they go nuts, Matt. Uh, I would also probably go around four stars, but I uh, I do think that actually it would be higher. But but I do think it actually uh, overstayed its welcome a little bit, which I think was a theme on this show. I think that you know one thing I loved about the match with Aries and Strong from the night before was that they they went nuts in that match too, but they didn't go so nuts that they lost the crowd or the crowd went down at all. They peaked at the right moment. I don't think this did. I think the crowd did go down a little bit um, from the peak. Um, But as far as what you said about you're worrying about this era of Ring of Honor because the big moves matches age the worst, you know, maybe this is controversial to say, but I think you're going to be surprised that we're getting to the era in the late 2000s where I don't think those big moves from those eras like age that badly. Like I, I think that like some of those big moves matches from that era like still seem pretty crazy. Like you said, a lot of the big moves here still seem crazy, right? Like it's not like yeah. And if you watch a big spot fest from like 1998, right? That seems like just like a generation and a half ago, you know, it's like, just like, this is like a much more, much more basic, much slower paced. The big moves are, are sloppier, right? Like, it's just like, they haven't gotten it down yet. I think by 2006, it's basically just what we have now, you know, and the, uh, and there have been small gradations of, you know, you want to say improvement or development or whatever word you want to say, but it's not a whole different world. I think that you're going to be pleasantly surprised by the fact that you're not going to find that these matches don't hold up. You know, you might not like them on their merits, but I don't think you're going to be like, oh, this was a great match then, but it's not now. I think the matches that were great in 2006, I would say at least 75% of them would still seem great to most people now too. Um, so a question for you then, because I know this is something you brought, and I agree with you on the on the, the first match you mentioned this on the show you've mentioned multiple matches tonight where you felt like they overshot the peak right and that is a criticism again i feel like we haven't seen much we haven't had that that often in ring in through the years so far but i do recall like in 2007 2008 you were starting to hear a lot of people not everyone there was debates about it but a bunch of people you'd hear more on shows like the idea of this match was great they hit a peak and then they went on for five more minutes and i feel like is the, do you think this show is like a sign that we're starting to edge into that where we're going to see more matches where you might say they hit a peak than they did like another three to five minutes of spots. It could be, but you know, it could also be that these matches were all kind of booked at the last minute. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the big matches that have a little bit more forethought behind it. Cause you know, ROH tends to book their big matches in advance during this era. Um, that they might have had, you know, been able to put more care into the pacing of the match. So I, I have hope that it's not going to be as bad as it could be. Um, you know, I think that um, we're going to see it, definitely, but I think there's going to be plenty of matches where it's, you know, it's done right. I mean, listen, we still see that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. matches that go past, like, especially these high spot matches that go past their peak. It's It's kind of hard to know when the right thing is but i will say this it seems to me that a decent rule because you know we've gotten to the uh 
now this is like the third or fourth match that had the move where all four guys are down and everybody goes nuts. I feel like once you get to that moment in the match, you need to go get to the finish after that. Because the crowd is really high at that point, and they're expecting a crescendo, and if you don't hit it, they're just like, oh, okay. And like, they'll still be in it, but they're, they've kind of, their interest was peaked, and now they're sort of just like, wondering, as opposed to being fully engaged. That seems to be a trend, at least on this show. And it makes sense to me, as a solid rule generally, I'm sure there are big exceptions to it, probably plenty of them, but I think on a standard, you know, tag match without much buildup, it's probably a good rule. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I wonder if it's tougher nowadays because I feel like matches are more pre-planned. Like you so often you hear people, wrestlers, like at the at the end of matches saying, "Oh, that match was cut for time. The guys were mad because there was like four more minutes of spots they had planned that they had to cut out." I wonder if like a lot of times wrestlers now they feel almost helpless because wrestlers plan out. I think more than ever a lot of their spots that they go like, "Well, that kind of peaked, but we already kind of agreed that we're going to do like these more these seven more things." You know, yeah. and with time cues and stuff like that, like I wonder how, like, how much leeway do you have if you feel like you know what we had three more minutes, but you know what I honestly feel like we're not going to top this now that we're like in the building doing it, and I hear the crowd, like, how much leverage, like, freedom do you have to just go quickly go tell everyone just let's let's stop right now? Yeah, exactly. A um, couple other things I just want to mention about the match. One thing I really did like in the earlier portion of the match is. Just like the night before, the Briscoes seemed very motivated, and they were just all of their moves were just so on point. Their uh, their strikes, they do a beal from outside L, where instead of throwing him really far, they just throw him up really, really high. Um, at one point, um, they're you know they're chopping so so stiffly, and Jay, I think accidentally, and and I think it might have happened. Uh, at one point in the previous night too, but Jay chops Richards in the neck and you hear Matt Seidel yell, hey, that was in the neck. That was illegal. Wasn't there a match on Unified where somebody got chopped in the neck? And might that have been Davey Richards also? I, 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 I have to go back and look at my notes, but I feel like Richards might have been accidentally neck chopped two nights in a row. It- and didn't we ju- we talk about how through the years this thing up? Wasn't there like one of the eighteen CM Punk controversies of the last two or three months was when they went back the idea that people started microanalyzing the thing, going, "Oh, Punk was scared that you know Hangman might be shooting on him because in this match you can see Hangman deliberately chopped CM Punk in the face or the throat or something." Yeah, it's like, I forgot about that. It's like. No, Hangman already had a reputation for being a guy that not willfully, but he can be a little accidentally stiff. And we see talented, like you just pointed out, like I immediately my mind went to it, like talented, like Briscoe's very talented, mechanically sound wrestlers. You can accidentally chop a guy in the damn throat. You know, it happens. Yeah. Which I is... don't think he was sending a message to Matt Seidel. No, I don't think so either. It'd be funny if he was. Okay. Did you notice this, Matt? There, so I don't know if I mentioned on the last show, but when I was doing research, this is a chant. I would not know what it means except I listened to the Brit Wrestling Experience podcast from a couple years ago that they covered Unified. Check it out. Google it if you want to find it. Um, they told a story where I guess to haze Matt Seidel because apparently Ring of Honor had a fan book the travel bus from the uh, – 
Liverpool to um, Broxburn. And not only that, they made the poor fan have the responsibility of waking up the wrestlers. And he describes how some of these wrestlers were very not happy to be woken up so early because they were not told they were going to be woken up that early for like a four to five hour bus ride to Broxburn from Liverpool that they had to share with fans in the front of the bus. And apparently a lot of wrestlers were not happy with that. And apparently one thing you saw if you were on this magical bus ride was the wrestlers were hazing Matt Seidel Apparently he was with a British last night before, and I forget exactly, but they basically made him do something like going, I had two fingers up my ass last night, and they made him walk up and down the bus saying that. So if you watch this match, I don't know if you noticed this, Matt, early on, a bunch of fans start chanting two fingers at Matt Seidel. Oh my goodness. And he's kind of smiling, but he's kind of, and then later on, something that does, Seidel does occasionally in his matches is he, um, does the peace sign. And when he does that, that restarts the two fingers chant. And it's like, he doesn't realize it. Like, so if you're oh watching this match and you want to know why fans were chanting two fingers at Matt Seidel, that is why they were chanting two fingers at him. Yep. I definitely didn't um, know. Definitely did not notice. Um, other moments of the match, there was like a brutal looking flying knee. Um, Mark Briscoe does to the back of Matt Seidel where Matt Seidel is not like lying flat. He's kind of like on his side and he just crushes him like, holy shit, this looked brutal. Jay does this crazy beatdown of Matt in the corner. That's only like 10 seconds long, but it's so brutal. Even though it's just a, like a simple beatdown, it's so well done. It gets a round of applause from the crowd. Um, yeah, so all of that stuff. I, I, do you have any more thoughts on the match? Because I, I, I don't know if we kind of interrupted you. No, no, I didn't. Or got off. I didn't. Yeah, so, yeah, crazy match, especially by the end. After the match, the crowd rises to their feet and gives an immediate standing ovation. So this was, again, this is one of those matches for whatever quibbles we have, just like I think the opener. These were the right kind of matches for this crowd. They were eating, the, they were eating up pretty much everything on this show, to, the, to some level or not. Um, they were saying, you know, that was awesome. Everyone gets their own individual chance and the two teams shake hands. So even though the Briscoes are going to kind of be still in a heel zone working with Cornette, you know, after this, you know, working against homicide on this double shot weekend, both nights ends with them, like shaking hands, being respectful. And that brings us to the main event, the ring of honor world title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends his title for the second time in the night, this time defeating Roderick Strong via, via ref stoppage in 20 minutes, 8 seconds, when Roderick passes out in the cow mutilation. So, Matt, this is this is one of those we've seen you know, on through the years. We have seen a full trilogy before this from Roddy and Danielson. Their matches, I re-looked them up just to, be, just to make sure. Those matches were 37 minutes, 47 minutes, and 56 minutes, respectively. And now we're getting the, the bite sized, you know, 20 minutes for most wrestlers. That's a good length of time for these two. That's like the, this is the mini version. This is the fun size version. What'd you think about a flat 20 from these two here? Well, I think these two have really good chemistry, obviously. So even their least, the least of their matches is going to be very good. Um, and this was, this was a really, really good match. I, I would say another, like, low great match. Um, whereas the, their other matches I thought were, like, high great matches. So it's not on, the, not on that level. But, um, you know, one big contrast between this and the Sua match, which I appreciated, but also thought was strange, was Danielson was pretty dominant here. Now, I like the contrast, but at the same time, doesn't it make Strong kind of look a little bit weak that he can't capitalize? on Danielson being so beaten up in that previous match that he, at the very least, even if he's going to lose, 
he at the very least takes most of the match. Um, that yeah. didn't, that didn't happen here. Um, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I thought Danielson did a great job. Uh, you know, he, um, he, he slaps strong in the face a bunch of times, getting strong to chase him around. And then he just takes strong down and he, uh, you know, even though Danielson's basically Danielson's cut on the top of his head opens up just a couple minutes into the match. So he's, he's bleeding pretty gross pretty early on, but he still is, is dominant. You know, he, um, there's one spot early where strong ducks a, uh, a Danielson strike and then, um, he kind of wears him out with chops and hits a backbreaker and overhead belly to belly. But then Danielson starts taking over again. He starts, he stomps on Strong's hand with a knuckle, knuckle lock. Um, you know, like he brings it down to the ground and then stomps it. Um, starts working over Strong. He does the surfboard tease, but instead jumps on Strong's knees. And it's very funny to me. The crowd starts chanting same old shit when I'm like, Almost none of you have ever even seen this person live before. And already you're like, same old shit. Like, clearly you just like want to be cool, like the New Jersey fans. Like, are, is this really yeah. what you're aspiring to right now? You just got your DVDs that started the CZWROH feud and we're like, hey, I want to be like that. You know? Yeah. So chanting same old shit when you know deep down they're like, oh, this is awesome. We get to see this in person. <laughs> it's very funny to me. Um, at one point, even like Strong hits a heavy forearm, so Danielson slaps him again and knocks him down with the slap. Um, so like they they're clearly emphasizing that even though Danielson is a chicken shit, he's he's just as heavy a hitter as anybody. But I couldn't help but be like, I don't know, shouldn't Strong be like showing better here after he's wrestling a guy who's been so badly weakened? Like I it feels like almost like. Danielson is more dominant here than he was in some of the other matches with Strong. Um, um, you know, he's kicking at him and taunting him verbally. Yeah, even Strong's comebacks are not that long before he gets cut off again. There is one point where De- where Strong busts Danielson's lip open, so uh, he does he does get that um, get that mark in his favor for uh, damaging Danielson. But uh, at one point, Strong comes off the middle rope. Danielson catches him with a Fujiwara armbar, goes right into the cattle mutilation, but a strongly, Strong quickly fights out and hits a backbreaker and a Gibson driver, gets a two count. And then, you know, they, they, they go pretty quickly into the, the big moves, you know, um, uh, O'Connor roll by Danielson. They trade heavy strikes. Strong ducks a roaring forearm and powers Danielson up into the fireman's carry for the gut buster. Um, then another forearm by Danielson gets a two count. Um, Danielson tries to superplex Strong, but Strong hits a series of very hard strikes, knocks him off the ropes, and leaps off the top with the sick kick and goes right into the stronghold. So, you know, this is pretty much the moment where Strong is getting the most offense. Sits into a Boston Crab. Danielson makes the bottom rope. Um, he eventually gets another stronghold after getting out of the, uh, the chicken wing. Um, and he pulls him into the center, sits down again. And then Danielson does that roll up thing, the way that he, you know, where he escapes the Boston Crab and rolls up strong. That's how he won their last match against each other at Super Carter Honor. So that was a nice, um, allusion to that match, but strong kicked out. Um, and then they trade strikes again. Strong hits the sick kick, gets a two count. Danielson turns that into a crucifix, but strong kicks out. Danielson starts elbowing. 
and then Strong fights out of the elbows, but Danielson gets him down again with more elbows, locks in the cattle mutilation, and Strong's arm drops, and Danielson wins very decisively. Uh, more decisively than in that previous match, that's for sure. And again, like, I thought this was a really good match. Like, I, I thought the, the work was good. I liked, you know, Danielson was great. He did kind of eat up strong here, which surprised me. And I don't really understand why they decided to go that way after Danielson was coming into the match week. If you can put that part out of your brain, I think this was a really good match. If you're trying to, you know, um, if you're trying to make that logic work, um, between the first match and the second match, I don't really know if they square that circle. But otherwise, I thought this was great. You know, one of my favorite things about doing a podcast with you, Matt, um, is occasionally I'll have like a weird thought. Well, not a weird thought, but just like a thought. And I'll, I'll start thinking like, am I crazy? Like, am I being too hard on this or something? And then I'll let you go first. It'll be a match where you go first on giving opinions. And you'll be like way more passionate and, and, and thought out about it than I. So it's like, it's, there's no, there's no, there's very few better feelings in life than like being unsure of your convictions and then having someone you respect, like be even more passionate. About it. Like it just gives you complete permission to react. Like, Oh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, like I was thinking like, am I being too like nitpicky, like thinking about like how this looks for Roddy and then you going so extensively. I was like, Oh, thank God. Like I'm not alone. Like Matt's right by my side. Matt's yeah, leading the charge. In fact. And, and, and same thing, same thing in reverse, by the way, you know, when, when, yeah. you, when you validate an opinion I have, that definitely makes me feel more secure in my my feelings. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I agree a lot, not just about the Roddy thing, but the overall quality. Like, I would say this is my match of the night. I could say a lot of people, I could see them thinking that the, it depends what style you like. I could see if you just like crazy popping off, going nuts shit, liking the semi-main event more than this. For me, this is like, like you said, another strong four stars, maybe four and a quarter. Honestly, if I could give a four and a fifth, Matt, <laughs> I'd give this a four and a fifth of a star. I think that's the right rating for this. There's no rules um, in star ratings anymore, Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a more, con- it feels like a condensed version of their longer matches. Um, there, there are a couple new things. Like, I'm not going to say this is completely retread, it, but I feel like it evokes a lot of the same vibes, including the Danielson kind of eating up strong things. And, and the, they, you get a bit of that genuine dislike that you, you feel between them. Or I'm sure it's not genuine, genuine, but just you feel like they dislike each other in the match. You know, it's got a lot of the same spots and a lot of the same vibe. It it does have new things like you mentioned, the callback to the finish, the roll-up finish that beat Strong at the WrestleMania weekend match. He survives. The elbows that beat him, I believe, at Vendetta, he almost survives. He, you know, he gets Danielson up on his shoulders while he's getting elbowed to the head, but this time Danielson just keeps elbowing him while he's on his shoulders, drops him back down. Um so even though you and I think this match is the, I would, I think we would argue this is the least of their four matches in part because I feel like because it's not as long, they, and, there, I, there's and, I th- and I think there's not as deep of a story. I mean, again, they, yeah. this was probably not a match they expected to have, you know? Yeah. I, I feel like there are interesting places the other matches go to and subtleties that because of this being more just a shorter match that's more focused on, let's give them a nice action packed main event. They just don't go to those places. But at the same time, I could see certain people liking this the best. Like if you're a kind of person that you just watch those other matches, if you're just the kind of person that doesn't like longer matches. 
I could see you like because this is much more action packed. Like, and it's well, action- if you don't like longer matches, you like this better because it's shorter. <laughs> yeah, and, and just also because like if we did like some measurement of action density or something, they call I just it, feel like this mean, is much you mean, more. You mean, you mean work rate? Yeah, exactly. If we were doing like literal the rate at which they did the work, the moves. This is probably the best of those. Now, you and I, I think some people would think. A lot of people would think other, but there, I, I will just say, if you're a certain kind of fan, if you think you're that kind of fan that I just described, this might be the Roderick Danielson match for you above all others. Um, for me, it's great, but yeah. And then going to your point, it, it is weird. Like I realized this, I realized that most fans are going to be very conscious of why this match is happening. That was thrown out at the last second. And they're, you know, it just did not affect the rise of Roderick Strong or anything like that. But yeah, I agree. It is weird to see Danielson eaten up by a guy that's not a regular. And then he kind of eats up Roderick. You know, Roderick gets a fair amount of stuff in, but you know, Danielson's pretty dominant, especially compared to Sua. He's got an open wound that's bleeding. And then on top of that, just the fact that if you've watched the trilogy, you know, again, that he wrestled like 30 something minutes, 40 something, and then 50 something. The idea that now in this fourth match, Danielson's coming in having Ori wrestled a full match, hurt, and strong as fresh, and he loses in half the time or less than the other matches. Like, that feels like he's going backwards. It feels like, oh, he's getting weaker against Danielson, like not pushing him again, to and, a and, new and, limit. And, and against a weakened Danielson. Yeah, exactly. So, again, I realize they couldn't have done it the other way because I'm sure with the state Danielson was in and all this, you don't want to have to ask him, hey, just to favor the booking, could you wrestle like another 55-minute match with <laughs> Ronald Strong tonight? Like, I know you couldn't You couldn't have asked. It would have been stupid. But the way it worked out, unfortunately, has that unintended side effects. Um, and this is also one of those matches where, boy, by the end of it, I felt like, Whatever, I mean, I know indie wrestlers don't make a lot in general. They're underpaid for the physical sacrifice in general. But this is one of those matches where I especially thought, like, by the end of it, Brian Danielson, whatever he got paid tonight for this show, he did not make enough because he had to do double duty. He gets busted open hard way in the back of his head, like a brutal cut. Um, he had just wrestled a crazy match the night before, doesn't really get to rest. And then he has to do this match where Roderick Strong busts him open hard way with, a, I think, a drop kick to the face. I rewound because it's, it's after that spot he's coming up bleeding. By the end of the match, he's got blood coming from the back of his head again from the like you mentioned, it reopens early and it's really starting to bleed by the end. And his chest is all bruised up by the end of the match, like welted up from the prior wrestling. It's just like, holy crap. This guy is just beat to shit by the end of this weekend. And, um, yeah. Uh, one other cool spot I want to mention. I just want to mention while I'm looking at the cool spots, there, there's a moment where Daniels and Strong are on the mat, and Brian's choking Roddy with his legs wrapped around Roddy's head, and then he simultaneously like he elevates his torso off the canvas by posting up on his hands, and it just looks I love when he does. It looks so cool. And then there's also a moment. Watch for watch for this during the match for people if you're going to watch this match. Um, Danielson with Roddy's hitting him in a million strikes in the corner. Watch Danielson's changing facial expressions as he gets hit with the strikes that goes from like kind of angry to in pain to I'm just unconscious on my feet. Like he just great facial expression work again. 
I, I always love finding more reasons to get mad at the people from this era that said that Brian Danielson did not have charisma. Like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to get mad every week. I'm going to get mad every episode. I'm going to find a reason. He, he had so much charisma. Or even Danielson was hard on himself sometimes in this era. And he keeps showing me little moments like that where most of the people on the card don't have facial expressions in the moment like that. But – after the match, Prezak says he's just been informed that on the next two Ring of Honor shows, Brian Danielson will be faced defending against Nigel McGuinness and Cole Cabana on successive nights, each in their own respective two out of three falls matches. Brian leaves the ring first so Roddy can get a big thank you Roderick chant. And on a rare for Ring of Honor thing, no post-match, post-show, at end-of-show angle or promo or anything. The show just ends on Roderick Strong, the loser, walking to the back, and that's it. That's uh, Anarchy in the UK. A show that also, by the way, ends, I think, like, it's like the mid-240s. This is not a show that goes to, like, three hours or three hours, 15 minutes, like a lot of Ring of Honor shows. This kind of ends a little bit early, so... Yeah, and I, and I was thinking about that, like, this show ends early. There's been a few others recently, and, like, if... I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but, like, I have noticed... Uh, our shows have been probably shorter on average than they would have been when we were reviewing stuff from like 2002, 2003. And I was thinking about it and it's like this era of ROH, this show only had seven matches, right? Um, yeah. I, I miss, and, and, you know, they don't do a lot of backstage stuff. Like think back to those 2002 shows where those shows had like anywhere from like 10 to 14 matches and there were like constant backstage promo segments and angles. There was just so much more for us to talk about. So I think like the reason why our shows are shorter is because there's just, they put less shit on these DVDs. It's just like much more focused. I think it's probably an improvement, but it is just an interesting, um, interesting to note the difference in the shows we're reviewing and how that affects the, uh, the shows that, um, we're doing as, as, you know, in, as a podcast. Yeah, we'll be getting that the next two shows too, because the next two shows, spoiler for people, each have an hour long match on them. So that'll be again, like another huge chunk of these shows will be taken up by one match apiece. So, right. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to, you know, for people that, you know, are trying to fit in 18 podcasts in their like weekly diet and think that even a, every two or three weeks through the years is a burden. Well, enjoy this while it lasts because i'm sure there'll be some show that will be four hours long but yeah, yeah, yeah. right well, now well, well the final battle show uh, we got we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll we promise to make that one way too long <laughs> but right now we are in, um in, in a you know in a different period but matt that was anarchy in the uk so i'm gonna say this matt um i was thinking about how i was gonna sum up this show the other day and i've never don't know if i've ever said this on through the years i think this show is kind of cozy like there's something about it where it's like no, you know, it, it does kind of have that unscripted feel where, like, not, there's not a lot of long-term ramifications, a lot of thrown-together stuff, but there's something about the small building, the fans having a really – like, just clearly having a really good time, everyone kind of working hard, like – the the weird unexpected like even there's some good variety like the sewer match is completely different you get your crazy three-way spot fest you get your like head dumping you know noah style match with you know tons of near falls you get your crazy modern indie in the semi-main event i i almost felt like i would recommend i know some of our listeners either just listen to the show and don't watch the the shows and some of our listeners have told us that they like will make a point to watch every Ring of Honor show before they listen to the episode. I would say if you're not a person that does that, if you're a show person that just will watch shows occasionally whenever you feel like it, save this show for like 
a snowy winter day because I feel like it's it's not an essential show, but it, there's something that I just felt it feels cozy to me, man. It feels like the kind of show where you you don't want something that's too that feels too special. Like you don't feel like watching a wrestling. You just feel like feeling like you're watching a nice little night of wrestling with some pretty damn good matches by the end of the night. Um, I feel like this is a good show for that. Well, that's definitely not the adjective I would have thought to use, um, but I understand what you're saying. Um, I I thought this was another in a line of like good B shows. Like it's, I think actually top to bottom, I, I think I like the undercard of this one more than I like the undercard of Unified. I, I don't think that the um, that the main events measure up, but just as far as like a solid, you know, almost three hour DVD, I think this is yeah, like this is just a, a really nice night of wrestling where the wrestlers work hard and deliver and they the matches are good sometimes great and the booking is mostly solid i um but you know there's nothing that's gonna be earth shattering for the promotion or for any of the wrestlers um i think it's yeah this is like i'm I'm trying to think of what it could be compared to like a like a good a good Coliseum video release or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you know, I, th- I thought this was a quite good show and a uh, overall, uh, you know, an excellent weekend for ROH. Um, that said, it'll be nice to go back to the, the States in the next show and just kind of like get the full band back together. You know, yeah. some of the, some of the characters we've been missing, uh, like, uh, Irish airborne. I don't know. <laughs> hey, what are you trying to say about Irish airborne? Um, no, but, um, but no, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I was thinking the other day, the one of the weird things about doing a Ring of Honor podcast, especially with our schedule, is like if a guy just isn't booked for like two straight shows, it means we kind of say goodbye to them for like two months. Like we haven't talked exactly. about Samoa Joe for a couple – for a while now. You know, yeah. By the time we get to the next episode, it will be like a couple months probably. So yep. yeah, homicide, guys like that. So yeah, it, it, I, I do completely know what you mean. Like it, it's like, oh, we have a couple old friends that we haven't seen in a while that we're used to seeing more often. But um, yes. we will see them on the and, next episode. But, and I oh. just want – I do want to mention to the, uh, to the listeners, there might be a slightly more extended gap between the show and the next show just because of various things going on. Maybe an extra week or two than the normal, but you know we'll be back and it won't be too long. Yeah, that's a great point because we got things going on in our lives. The end of summer's coming up, and there's lots of wrestling that you know we are compelled to watch. Yeah, you'll, you know? you'll, so, you'll have plenty of wrestling podcasts to listen to in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I actually feel like sometimes it's good that we don't sometimes do shows during really busy periods of wrestling because I feel like. If you are a wrestling fan, you're either watching the shows, and then if you listen to podcasts, you're probably listening to podcasts that are covering those shows. So, you know what? We'll, we'll be back in the first, like, slow week afterwards, or the second slow week. You know, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll be ready for you then. But, uh, yeah. so it'll work out well for everybody. So, for the plugs, as usual, through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H for through, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. I refuse to say X, Matt. Can't stop. Can't do it. Won't do it. Next time on the show, we will be covering Epic Encounter 2. ROH is back in America. They're in that ROH hotbed of Minnesota. Wade Keller is attending it live. The main event, Nigel McGinnis, Brian Danielson, in a 2 out 3 falls match that goes an hour that Brian Danielson has on the record saying he does not like. So obviously, his opinion is invalid. The only opinion that matters is us. We will tell you if it's good or not next time on Through the Years. Until then, have a good time. Have a great time. <laughs>